Good morning, guys. This is Stephen Kwong along with Natalise and Jess Furman. Unlikely journey this morning. We're going to talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and disrupting the current market with new forms of currencies. Jess, what do you think about that? Take it away. Yeah, I thought today we could talk about, like, you know, I mean, I know everyone's throwing around crypto and NFTs and blockchain, but I think on a larger level, like, because we're all entrepreneurs, like, you know, what does it mean to disrupt a space to the degree where, like, the currency you're accepting is different? You know, we're all working on these elements of our business, but, you know, it's one thing to go, okay, are we accepting U.S. dollars, international currency, now there's digital currency, and then something like NFTs pops up and it changes kind of the nature of the thing that you're even selling, I just think it's, it's like, is this something that you guys have thought about? You both have uh, companies where, you know, now at least at one point you're going to be selling products when you guys go to market and, you know, Steve, you're, you know, do payment processing. So how do you guys feel about like what's been happening in the digital space with currency? Yeah, this is a great question. You know, we are first and foremost an integrated payments company. So this is something that's really dear and near to heart. The way that I think about it is that Anytime where there's movement of money or exchange of goods, there's opportunity to commoditize a brand on top of that. Now we're talking about crypto, NFTs. If we want to go back in time and think about history, for an example, at one point, credit cards were like the best and the biggest thing because there's this notion that you can actually take something that's not currency and move that value from one entity to another. And somehow in between that transaction, there's all these opportunities for other players to come in and monetize off that transaction. So I think that idea is not new, but the complexities around how we're doing things now in a digital world is really fascinating. You know, let's back up for a moment. For most of us, Jess, I would assume that this is a very ambiguous uh, space. Can you give our audience just like a high level overview of what an NFT actually is? Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, um, I mean, it sounds like this crazy thing. People are probably reading articles where they're like, Grimes just sold, you know, millions of dollars worth of music. And you're seeing these like little gifts and art pieces. And it's easy to think that an NFT is an art piece. But really all an NFT is, it stands for non-fungible token. Um, the difference between a Bitcoin a Bitcoin is a fungible token. An NFT is a non-fungible token. And all that means is, um, like, for example, a dollar is a fungible token. And how that means is that if, if Steve, I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar back, it could be a different dollar and it's still worth the same amount, right? It's exchangeable currency. Same with Correct. Bitcoin. I give you a Bitcoin, you pay me in Bitcoin, it's still exchangeable. What these NFTs are, these non-fungible tokens, there, there's an originality to it, the way that it's logged into the bit, the um, the blockchain. There's, there is only a designated amount, and there is usually only one. If you're doing art and it's a collection, you can designate maybe like one of ten, two of ten, three of ten. But what's really fascinating about these NFTs is that it's a way to kind of have an asset value that's non-exchangeable and has inherently more value because. Um, there is only, you know, quote unquote, one of these things that's verified by the blockchain itself. And all the blockchain really is just in layman's term is essentially, it's the same thing that a bank does. Like when you use your ATM card, a bank registers, I paid for gas, I put more money in, I took cash out, someone's keeping a ledger. So blockchain is just essentially a ledger. So an NFT is really, really interesting because it can be tied. It's starting to be tied to real world assets. 
um, you know, things like real estate, um, music. Um, it's just an interesting space to be in because, again, the centralization of where these rights are, ho- are held um, is, is shifting if it's based off of a blockchain. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something else to be said, too, is that we're now looking at unique identifiers as the central place to validate the value of something, right? I think that many of us don't realize that the dollars that we hold, they're supposed to be unique, but not really. Because, you know, the central bank, the mint can print as many dollars as they want to, and you would likely like never know about it. How do you verify that? So with the advent of the blockchain, these are supposed to be public ledgers that are verifiable. The way that they're identified, they're not mutable. That makes it super unique. And this is only just this is only possible because of the internet. So we're moving into a time and space where um, I think I'll, I'll take this from you. We're kind of like in the Wild West. And there's a lot of opportunities for us to look at the movement of uh, monetary value through different means. Just curious, Jess, what is the greatest area of interest for you in the time of blockchain and, and cryptos and NFTs? Like, why are you so fascinated by it? Um, I mean, for music, I'm, I mean, it's, you got, you wouldn't believe it, but none of the PROs. None of, so if I write a song, Steve, you and I write a song, you mean Natalie's, we all write a song and we each own a third of it. Right. Um, Natalie's pays for the recording. So she owns like a bigger stake in the sound recording. Maybe she gives us each a percentage. There are all these sets of rights attached to music. Right. But there's no centralized database and no one realizes that. So I can register my song, you know, you can copyright it, but no one, nothing talks. The left hand doesn't talk to the right hand. So everyone can kind of register with their own little royalty organizations. And there's so many different sets of rights to collect that there are all, there's all this money that just ends up getting left in limbo because things aren't registered in different places. And, and to make things worse, if you register something in one place and it's wrong and you have to go re-register it in all those different places and, and have disputes. So why I'm really excited, about blockchain is that if you have a centralized system where people are, and it's a centralized decentralized, right? It's not one person doesn't own the blockchain. Essentially, it's being verified by the community. All these different computers are verifying this information, right? So it takes it out of the control of one entity. But, you know, if this can, if, if someone can crack this code for music, and you, you know, the three of us write this song, we have a way that we can mint it using an NFT up to, say, you know, NFT for the initial, the, the rights all together. And it might not end up being an NFT, what it is, but if we have a record of what we have and then you can sell off different pieces of it like you can for blockchain, I mean, super, super exciting. Like it just, it could change the way that musicians collect. Also with these NFTs, you can keep royalties generating from when the point of sale is until each, you know, exchanges hands down the road. So it just, it could, it, it means a lot for, it can mean a lot for artists from multiple levels. Natalie, you are in the very early stages of parallel health and you know you guys have a very unique distribution model do you see blockchain technology as something i mean this may be an unfair question because this is not you know you guys aren't a payments company per se but you are an entrepreneur and you're very very smart and you're a stanford mba so i'll give you all of that so that's why i'm giving you this question <laughs> right so do you see in the future some creative ways for you guys to think about you know distribution using blockchain yeah, I mean, I think look, we're we're a D2C company first and the way that I think about it is really cotton dry. It's like when people want to use it, we will offer or enable that way of payment. Um, but until they do, that's not something we're going to focus on. Right? 
But that being said, you know, I'm totally with Jess. Like when I look at this idea of NFTs though, right. Um, um, as it pertains to art and artistry, that's where there's so, so many problems in sort of the creative world where money just gets lost, like Jess said. And so in, I think it's going to really change the way people think about art and really help new artists monetize um, in a way that they couldn't have before. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, so I think maybe a good way to think about an NFT is um, the only certificate available to validate the value of something. And there's a value within that certificate. Yeah, that's correct. And there are all these contracts that can dictate, like I was deep diving a couple days ago and I, I didn't realize that you can tie it again to real world assets. Like people are doing it with their art, you oh, know, yeah. and then you get a high res version of the art. But like if you secure it with the contract, because there's a contract behind these NFTs that dictates the rules of the NFT. So like you can technically tie it to real estate, you know, or even what's interesting now, which I'm just seeing, I was reading articles this morning about the publishing shares for music. So like if, you know, I want to, like, again, the legality of this hasn't really been entirely decided, but theoretically, if I want to take a share, so you, me, and Natalie wrote a song and I own a third of it, right? If I want to take that one third and I want to sell my publishing rights, in, in the real world, I have the right to do that, right? I can sell, I can't sell your shares, but I can sell my share. Um, and what we're starting to see is people auctioning off as NFTs, their own share of that piece of that artwork. So that would mean that in addition to you owning that NFT, you're also entitled to the real world royalties um, because you've exchanged actual rights in a, in a legal sense in, in the real world arena. It's, it's fascinating to start to see that, see that happening. Jess, I see the NFT application in particular being extremely useful in the world of entertainment and IPs. I know for a fact this business in entertainment IP is really, really complex. Can you give us an anecdote of how, let's say, like a song gets published? How many players can potentially be involved in monetizing that song from publishing to mechanical rights and all that stuff? Give us, give us like a really broad overview. Oh, geez. So, so when you write a song, whoever you get involved with, all you do is give bits and pieces away, right? So I'll use the example of the three of us, right? Three of us are sitting in a room and we write a song. You know, unless it's otherwise designated, it's typically equal share. If Natalie's walked in at the last minute and whistled in the background, maybe we'd be like, okay, Natalie's five, 10%. If it was the hook, maybe we'd give her more. But theoretically, let's say we're all writing a song in a room together. We each have a third, a third, a third, right? All that happens from the moment we create that song to the moment we move out into the world, other rights are created. And then we start giving pieces away. So once we record that song, then there's a master recording. So who owns that version, right? It's a physical embodiment of the song that we wrote. That's a separate thing. The The song that you that the three of us wrote, we own the rights to the songwriting, the song itself. But once there's a physical recording, now there's a recording set of recording rights. And that's where all these parties come into play. Like if we all got a record deal because our band's doing really well and Atlantic pays for the recording, our Atlantic owns the sound recording rights. And the part where it gets hairy is when there's an NFT of a recording, which is actually happening right now because um, Royalty Exchange and Billboard announced the first NFT that was sold on the platform for Royalty Exchange was a tribe, the band A Tribe Called Quest. And when you do a little deep dive on it, A Tribe Called Quest never agreed to have their music sold as an NFT at all. What it was is someone who had a 1% stake in it sold 
an NFT and claim that they were selling a tribe called Quest's record. So that's where it gets, this is where it starts to get hairy is like, who has the rights that all these parties are now involved in that physical sound recording um, from the people who recorded it itself, like the actual physical sound recording and the actual songwriters themselves that own their publishing. Jess, what does the mechanical rights actually mean? Mechanical rights have to do with the publishing entity. Okay, so the publishers are the people who own control the copyright itself. There's always a publishing and a writer share. A mechanical right, um, like there's certain statutory rates. Like right now, it's nine point one cent per record. So it's it's also an interesting time right now when you see Grimes or like there's another artist that just sold like their whole a record for eleven million. Um, there's a statutory rate that's a mechanical license, and a mechanical license is the fee that's paid to actually make a recording and sell it. So every time a song is sold, um, 9.1 cents goes back to the publishing share. Um, those royalties are called mechanicals. It's a it's a royalty paid to the publishing side, the song, the people who wrote and own the copyright, right? It's paid to them for the physical embodiment of the song recording. So the interesting battle right now that everyone needs to figure out is, is an NFT a license? If it's a license, then it's split up 50-50. It's the master side and it's the publishing side. Usually, usually it's it's fairly equal, right? Um, arguably. But if it's a mechanical license, then when that $11 million project went through, each, each of the publishers are only entitled to 9.1 cent based on the statutory rate for standard recordings. So it's a, a mechanical license basically is a physical embodiment a license fee that's paid to the rights holders of the song itself. Ultimately, who do you see are the power players in this space when it comes to defining the NFT for entertainment? It's gonna be the Wild West. I mean, you know, I'm from my work with Sona, like, you know, with the like, you know, having the MLC right now, there's an MMA, the Music Modernization Act. Um, Congress, you know, there's one, you know, Congress has one section that is dedicated to copyright and IP law and it's, you know, music's not very high up on the list, right? So we have these rates in place that, that, that pertain to broadcast and terrestrial, but anything considered new media is not as clearly defined, which is why you have the Spotify's and the Pandora's and the Apple's and, you know, you have these digital agencies that are able to create, like at this point, they have so much market share, they have a lot of leverage in Congress, but by the time it gets on the docket to kind of regulate what these fees are, you know, there's like a four or five year lag. There's a certain rate right now that was supposed to have been decided by now. And by next year, the next five year rate is supposed to be decided. And it still hasn't been, no one's made a decision on what that rate should be. So um, it's tricky. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's really tricky. I feel like it's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, it's the, it's the wild west. Like people are, you know, kind of going to just, charge ahead and just, you know, pray for the best or just kind of be cognizant of the fact that by the time even Congress rolls around to this, you're looking at like a five to eight year, you know, year lead time. So I mean, how much profit can you make in the next five years before you get slapped with something retroactive potentially? You know, what's insane to me, it's what's insane is that, you know, I think about, you know, entrepreneurs and building companies, entrepreneurs building companies, they, and, and if they're consumer facing you are doing so much research on the consumer and you are basically building a product around your audience, right? And the decision maker, as a decision maker, you have to be so intimately entwined and empathetic to who you're building the product for. And the decision makers here, you know, when you talk about Congress and like, I highly doubt there are, and, and Jess, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but 
it seems ridiculous to me that there wouldn't be, you know, I mean, I know there's nonprofit organizations like Sona who are who are trying to, um, you know, battle for for the rights on behalf of the songwriters, but you know, the lawyers and Congress like don't know what it's like to be a, a recording artist, right? Don't know what it's like to um, just to go through that process, and yet they are the decision makers. That's insane to me. The, the scarier part about all this is that you're not even thinking about the fact that these people term out of these committees and subcommittees. So you're hoping to educate, you know, different representatives and like, you know, in legislature about like the intricacies of copyright law, which is very complicated and it's not even their fault. Like they're also, it's these committees are having to deal with like such high level trademark patent, like, you know, anything from pharma to you name it, like it's all the same committees. Right. And, you know, people term out or get reelected. So it's not even like there's a body that it like is, has become an expert at this thing, you know, at best you're looking at like, who's going to get elected, who's going to get, you know, end up on this committee, how fast can we catch them up to speed? And it's just, it's, it's kind of terrifying when you think about that, that's the final, like <laughs> that that's where our livelihood, if you're a musician and you're a copyrights holder at that level, like where, where it, like, that's what you're at the mercy of when you're up against like it's David and Goliath. You're up against Google. You're up against Spotify. I mean, it's like, you know, it, they used to call, I think it's Dima. There's like a digital, it's like, there's a conglomerate of digital empire, almost evil empire that understands that they have enough lobbying in Congress that it's just the little guys like throwing little pebbles at a window, trying to get someone to like care that you wrote the song and maybe they're emotional to like want to look into this, but it's, it's modern day robbery. Natalise, you've been in the marketing world for a very long time. Based on your experience, do you have any predictions um, with regards to how the, let's just call it the younger generation, you know, kids that are kind of growing up now, are, do, you, do you get the sense that they are more, um, more or less already uh, to accept crypto and NFT as the default currency moving forward? Yeah, I mean, certainly it is part of the zeitgeist right now. And I think younger people, it's so funny because um, when I, um, I've i been inter interviewing for, for college interns and I'm so impressed by the people that I have talked to because I'm like, wow, like you're so aware <laughs> um, and so much more aware than, than I felt even I was in college, even though when I was in college, I thought I, I felt so old and that I knew so much. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, just look at the way that, you know, kids now use video, right? Like that's so simple, but um, the way they use video now, it's just part of daily life. And I think similarly, you know, something like Bitcoin, you know, if it starts gaining traction now, there's still mystery, like so much mystery around Bitcoin for a lot of people, myself included, right? Like I think it's it's complex um and and sort of the the ramifications around it um you know kind of sustainability ramifications like all of all of that is still sort of a little cloudy um but i do think that there's going to be just sort of a a, a gradual movement around um adoption as as we kind of journey on and as more countries start to to enable it jess you work with recording artists, musicians, creatives all day long. 
in your experience, let's talk about the recent year. You think about the pandemic as being more of an accelerant in terms of money as a vehicle. Like prior to COVID, I'll say this, you know, in, in our industry, many of our customers were still taking on checks and cash as a vehicle for their services. Now with the pandemic, m- most of them are like understanding the value of digital currency. As you're working with um, so many types of creative folks in, in music and entertainment, are you seeing a, a switch or demand from some of these folks into um, at least raising up digital uh, currency, crypto as a, as a way to monetize? Like, like, for example, maybe in the past, I used to think about royalties as like, a, you know, a check or, or an ACH bank transfer being sent to them. Have you heard anything from the people that you work with with regards to them wanting crypto or digital currency as a form of payment? Um, no, not yet. I mean, everything moves so slowly. It's such a nickels, pennies and dimes business when it comes down to it. Um, between all the different, you know, the way your records are distributed with streaming income and like everyone thinks it's big chunks of money. And it is if you're charting in certain levels, but, um, I I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen for a long time because the gatekeepers that, that do all the accounting, they're like slow as molasses. And it's, I, what I, what I see, there's enough inefficiencies with them just calculating in whatever currency you're you're in. Um, but what I do think is going to be relevant is this NFT thing, because memorabilia is a massive issue, right? Like people are buying vinyl again, like record sales went down the minute digital, digital streaming destroyed the record industry. People weren't buying albums or records anymore, right? So you have this whole stream of income that basically was cut off in favor of people doing the subscription model in an unregulated environment where these artists and these songwriters are not being compensated for the service at the level that they were before, right? The people who are benefiting the most are the people that own Spotify and own Apple Music and own, you know, like the service itself, but people are no longer buying records, you know, in the same way that they were before. So I think anytime that something pops up where there's an option for memorabilia, um, the vinyl has been doing great. We do vinyl for our bigger artists. Um, They sell out right away. People like collectibles when it comes to entertainment and their artists. I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, I think this, this NFT thing is, is really interesting because there's a lot of, there are a lot of income streams that have um, dried up. And I feel like if there's a way to get in front of this in the music industry, in a way that we weren't able to get in front of it as a creative, you know, speaking as a creative now, like we weren't able to get in front of streaming, right? That was, that was taken over by the tech, the tech industry. So if there's a way to get ahead with NFTs and cut out the middlemen and just do direct to fans and this type of thing, I feel like it's going to start to reset an industry that's been galvanized by the tech industry. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. You know, I think about how tech destroyed the record industry. What tech did was that they accelerated distribution. Where it used to take, you know, for me to buy my favorite artist, I know that the album may be sold out. So I might even have to like wait for the distribution companies to physically send goods into a record store. With the advent of tech, basically a, a song could be streaming unlimited. I think about how fast you can get goods to market. That's one of the ways to disrupt. Um, and the same thing's happening for the payments industry, right? The reason why fintech is so big right now is because there's a demand for people to receive funds faster. So what used to take six days, seven days for ACH transfer has now become like, you know, same day money transfer. And and companies like Square and PayPal are monetizing huge and raising their stock prices just based on that commodity alone. Think about NFTs as a way to get something to someone faster. I believe 
just as you do, there are plenty of ways that are unexposed right now to really think about how we can monetize this thing. Um, well, Jess, you get the last word. We're running out of time. Two minutes. How do you want to close it? Um, how do I want to close it? Um, I think that I think that people who are listening to this, you know, I, look, when I heard blockchain, crypto, I mean, it, it just seems like this. I'm sure it seems to us the way the Internet seemed to like. You know, generations that were like, there was like a meme recently that was like, the internet, it's, you know, gonna fail. It's you know, like, it, it, like, there were people had wrote articles in major publications saying that it was a hyped up thing that would never take off. Um, I just feel like it, it's, it's worth it to really understand in a global economy with the internet that connects everybody you know, just to rethink how, how money, you know, how money works. This isn't a static thing. You know, hundreds of years ago, I would have brought my goat over to Steve's or Natalie's backyard and she would have handed me, you know, vegetables and, you know, maybe ironwork, right? Like we traded things and it took a minute before society evolved to have paper currency, right? So um, I think that, you know, part of being aware of trends is understanding that the way the world is isn't the way the world is always going to be. And I think in this case, it's worth just doing a little bit of a dive so you're not sitting here wondering what happened to your dollar value, you know, if this becomes a, a viable currency method. I love it. Well, guys, great conversation. But for the time being, we're going to sign off on the behalf of Jess and Natalise. This is Stephen Kwong representing The Unlikely Journey. Looking forward to catching up with you guys on the next episode. Peace.